Good morning. Half of you are awake. We'll make sure the other half are awake. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning, and I welcome each one of you. We have uh, people from a lot of different places, so different churches in the community here, uh, different churches in Indiana, and then I see uh, probably Ohio and Pennsylvania represented. I'm not sure where all, so I'm not going to try to guess, but thank you for coming and worshiping with us. In song, probably is the reason why you're here to worship but also just to worship the Lord by uh, reading and studying Scripture also. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, it's because of that that we have something to be thankful for and to, be, uh, to celebrate. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given to us. And Lord, as we gather this morning... We invite your presence. Thank you that your spirit is here. And Lord, as we worship, I pray that you would be honored and glorified through it. Be with um, the choir as they sing later. I pray that you would bless them and that through that service of song that our hearts could be lifted and that we could worship with them. Lord, thank you for each one, is he- each one who is here this morning. And I pray that you would um, bless each one. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been to a gathering or to a certain place where you felt a little bit uncomfortable or out of your element? Uh, maybe, maybe the place you went to, maybe it was a formal gathering and the people that were there were dressed a little more formal than you were. And it made you feel a little bit uncomfortable and, and you, you started to think, well, do I belong here? Do I fit in? Recently, my wife and I went to a restaurant, and um, as we were, we were a little bit early, we had a reservation, and so it was a, and I'm, I'm kind of a common type of person, I don't really enjoy restaurants that you have to have a reservation to go, I, that's just, I just don't feel comfortable with that. So anyhow, we, we went to this restaurant, and as we were waiting on a reservation, we saw people walking in, and um, and they were all dressed up, and you could tell they were ready to enjoy their evening of dining. And as we walked in the door, my, my wife, she whispered to me, she said, do we fit in here? Are we at the right place? And, you know, it kind of goes through you a little bit like, do I fit? Is this who I am? Uh, we did enjoy our evening of dining. But there, we do find ourselves like that in times, um, different times in our life where we go somewhere. And maybe it's, maybe it's even a place that we stay. Maybe it's a hotel that you go to. And as you walk in, you see how it's laid out and you see how the other, who else is there. And you suddenly realize like, oh, this is, this is a different class than what I'm used to being in. I'm, I'm maybe used to Super 8, right? And this is, this is a different group of people that are going to be here. And so we find ourselves in places like that. And you know, my view of who I am affects how I relate to the people around me. So how I view myself affects how I act. It affects um, how comfortable I am um, being myself in front of other people. 
Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Second Samuel chapter 9. The title of the message this morning is Dead Dog to King's Son. Dead Dog to King's Son. Now, we, as we come into 2 Samuel here, I'm just going to give a little bit of background. Um, at the end of 1 Samuel, uh, King Saul was killed and his three sons. And one of those was Jonathan. And if you remember, Jonathan was a personal friend of David's. Uh, they, were, they had a brotherly love, it says. They had a connection. And they were very close um, friends. And so now we're coming into 2 Samuel chapter 9. David has been uh, anointed king. He is on the throne. And beginning to read in verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar, in the son of, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And, and King David said, sent and fetched him of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon him, upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both feet. You know, often the tradition in this setting was when there was a new king, the first thing he did, did was eliminate any threat of future overthrow. And so he would, he would go back to the previous king's family and figure out if there were any left of that family and he would kill them off to make sure that they weren't going to overthrow 
his throne. And David here, at the beginning of this chapter, I, I, I see him after all, all that he's went through, and now he's sitting on the throne. He's, he's maybe sitting there and doing a little bit of reflecting. And he's thinking about his life and, and all the turmoil that's been there the last years. And suddenly it dawns upon him, oh, Jonathan, my friend, Jonathan's gone. And maybe he's, he's thinking back to the time that they had spent together. And suddenly he thinks, you know, it would really feel good to do something for that friend of mine. It would really feel good to me to, to do something um, in remembrance of, of our relationship. And so David starts to ask the question, are, are, there any, are there any of the family of Saul or Jonathan that are left? Are there, and so he calls in Ziba, the servant, and if you can imagine, if you were Ziba the servant, the servant of Saul, so Ziba has some history in the palace. He knows what happens when a new king comes in. He knows what to expect. And suddenly Ziba is called in and David sits down and he asks him, Ziba, do you know, are there any of the family of Saul left? And you can imagine Ziba starts thinking. New king, questioning about the family, any family left. And Ziba's probably thinking, yeah, I know where this is going. And so Ziba replies to David and he says, yes, there is. There's a grandson of Saul, one of Jonathan's sons. And if you can imagine David, I just imagine this. Here he's, he's wanting to serve his friend, right? And suddenly he, he hears, oh, not only is there somebody from the family, it's the son of Jonathan, my friend. And so Ziba, Ziba discloses, he, he shares that with David. He said, yes, there is. There's, there's a grandson of Saul. But immediately he adds, but he's lame on his feet. He's lame on his feet. And I wonder if Ziba is maybe trying to cover a little bit for Mephibosheth. He knows that this may not go well if David finds out that there's somebody left. He's lame on his feet. And so David asks for Mephibosheth to come to the palace. And so he comes. And as Mephibosheth comes in, he, he fell on his face. And I, I don't know, we have to do some assuming here maybe. So uh, just bear with me. But I, I'm wondering what, what is Mephibosheth? What's going through his mind? Um... Mephibosheth has been gone, not been part of the palace um, culture since he was probably five years old. And so he's been outside of, of the, the king and, and part of the palace and everything that has happened. And suddenly, the new king is calling him to the palace. And I'm assuming that something's running through his mind too. He's wondering, well, what, is this king, what does this king want? Why does he want to talk to me? And so he comes in and he shows respect. But I also wonder if there isn't a part of Mephibosheth that is saying, who am I? He's feeling vulnerable because he knows that he's at this king's mercy. Um, he's, he, is, he is lame. Uh, he's probably feeling like he is the forgotten son of Saul, right? He has, he has some history in this kingdom, but he's forgotten. Um, 
maybe a little bit of a sense of, of worthlessness. I'm not sure. Furthermore, he knows that coming in before this new king, this king could make him disappear from the record books pretty quickly. But he comes in and says, I'm your servant. And immediately David consoles him and says, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness. And he says, I'm going to give you a home. Not only a home, but I'm going to give you the home farm. I'm going to give you the land of your grandfather. I'm going to give you uh, land to dwell on. I'm going to give you those fields. And I'm going to give you servants to take care of those fields for you. He invited him not only to live there, but he invited him to be part of David's own family. He invites him to sit at the king's table. He invites him to eat with the king. He gives him this land. He sets this all up. And then the king says, I would like to have you sit at my table. I would like for you to be like a son. I would like to show kindness to you and show, demonstrate some of the love that I had for your father. And so he, he invites him into his kingdom. He invites him into the family. You know, Mephibosheth had grace extended to him through David. It was nothing that Mephibosheth had done. It, was, it wasn't that David found Mephibosheth uh, being supportive of his new kingdom. And David invited him. It, it was none of that. It was nothing that, that Mephibosheth did as a person. But it was only because of the love that David had in his heart for Mephibosheth's father. That he invited him to the palace. That he gave him what he did. And that he invited him to be part of his family. He invited him to sit at his own table. And Mephibosheth's response in verse 8 may tell us a little bit of the picture he said, the picture that he had of himself. He says, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? You know, I wondered, did, had, was, was Mephibosheth, was he living in hiding? Was, was he, did he know that this could possibly happen? Did he know that the king could at some point call him up? That the king at some point could ask for his life because of his family history? Not only that, but Mephibosheth at a very young age was, was dropped or it, it says that he fell and he, he damaged his legs. And so he had this, this physical um, handicap also that he was living with. So he was part of the king's family, but he was forgotten. He had a physical ailment. He was, he was lame. He had possibly had a low self-esteem, a self-worth. And I wonder sometimes if, if he had a if he maybe sat there and he had a, a dim remembrance of what palace life was as a young child, remembering what it was like to be royalty, what it was like to, to live in the palace and to experience that. 
In, some, in a lot of ways, Mephibosheth's life was full of disappointments. He lost his family. He lost his identity that he would have, that he would have received from his family. Not only that, but he lost his own, his own physical ability in some ways. And he saw himself as a dead dog. And that's, that's how he expressed himself to David. Who am I? Why do you notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth probably had a lot of shattered dreams. And I wonder if he often looked back and wondered, why did this have to happen to me? And so David calls in uh, Ziba, Saul's servant, and he says to Ziba, he asks him to care for this land that he gave to Mephibosheth. He asked to take care of it and to provide for Mephibosheth. And he also gave Mephibosheth all of Ziba's servants and his sons. So suddenly Mephibosheth went from hiding to now he has this property. He has a, a means of living and he has servants. And the head servant has sons and he has servants. And all of a sudden he's, he's inherited all of this. And so he went from this feeling of being this, uh, who am I, and, and, and being in hiding and being that, that, that dead dog mentality, to suddenly his, his life has changed. Suddenly he has means. Suddenly he's, he's invited to sit at the king's table. He's invited to be part of the family. And he's done nothing for this. He's done nothing to deserve it. It's simply an act of love from David. You know, the typical response, like I said, for David to him could have been, should have been, typically would have been death. But instead, David offers Mephibosheth a whole new identity. Not just a whole new life, but he invites a whole new identity to Mephibosheth. Suddenly he's He's royalty again. Suddenly he gets to, to live with royalty. Suddenly he gets to interact with palace people again. Suddenly he's invited to sit at the king table. It's, it's a whole different mentality. It's a whole different identity than what he was living out before. And he has a choice to make now. Mephibosheth can either in his heart say, you know what? I was forgotten. I'm really physically, I'm lame. My family is gone. I'm just a dead dog. He can choose to keep that identity. Or Mephibosheth can choose another identity that the king has offered him. King's son. Royalty. Sitting at the king's table. Enjoying life at the palace. And he has a choice to make of which identity he's going to take. You know what? We have the same offer that's been made to us. We have the same offer that we can accept. Every one of us have been invited to come to the palace. And while we have had disappointments in our life, 
while physically, maybe not all of us are maybe 100% or quite what I wish I would be, the king has invited us into his palace. And he has offered us an identity change. He has offered to us something that we don't deserve. He has made something available to me that I did not earn. He has given me a, a chance to sit at the king's table. He has invited me to sing at the king's table. Not only that, not only to sit at the king's table, but to be like one of his sons. He's offered you that. He's invited you to come into his presence. He's invited you to be a part of the family. He's invited you to live at the palace. To be one of his sons. To have an intimate relationship with the king. And we have to choose. I have to choose. Will I accept that identity? Or will I live out of who I see myself as? Or will I allow the king, will I look at how he sees me and say, I like that identity. That's who I want to be. That's what I want to live out of. That's what I want to accept. That's, that's what I want to be, is to be, to live out of that identity that he gives me. Even though I've done nothing to deserve it, even though I can't repay him for what he's done, I want to be a part of, of what that is. I'm going to read some scripture this morning. The first one is 1 Peter 1, chap, chapter 1, verse 23. It says, being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, this identity that God has offered to us is a incorruptible seed. We, we are offered a life that will be incorruptible, that will live on and on. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not only has he offered it to us, he chose us. He chose us. Isn't that special? He reached out and he said, I would like for you to be a part of my kingdom. He's chosen us. He made us a royal priesthood. Ephesians 1 verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that he should be, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us and we can be holy and without blame. He's offered us that. Ephesians 1 verse 7. And if you struggle with your identity in Christ, Ephesians 1 is loaded. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace. We've been offered redemption from what we were living in. We've been offered Mephibosheth. He, the life that he was living in, in, seclu in seclusion and probably hiding He's been offered redemption from that. He can come out. He doesn't have to be ashamed, but he can live out of what God is off, what the king offered him. In the same way, we have a redemption that is offered to us that we can live out of. 
And we can experience forgiveness for who we are, for what we've done, for who we've been. Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. How big is your God? How full is your God? How much does he have to offer? How big and mighty is he? And he's offering to fill me with that. He's, he's making it available to me that, it can, that he, wants to, he wants to dwell inside of me. He wants to fill me up. He wants to be a part of who I am and part of my life. And that's exciting, friends. If, if we're full of Christ, if, if, God, if, if the God that you serve is so big and he wants to be inside of you, he wants to be part of who you are, there should be something that's spilling out because we're not big enough people to keep him inside. There's something inside of us that should be reflected to people around us. There's something inside of us that should just be wanting, that should, should show what's inside of us, that, that's reflected by who's inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? He wants to dwell inside of me, inside of you, inside of this, this body. Not just inside of our spirit, but he also wants to be inside our body and take control of, of our physical body. Isn't that special? That, that big God, that, that God that we serve wants to be a part of my body. He wants to take control of that. Do I allow him to do that? 1 Corinthians 5 verse 18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us to himself. He made us new. He wiped our slate clean. He reconciled us to him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You know, we don't really need any more. Because we have him, we are complete. We are complete in him. Colossians 3 verse 12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We are, it says, the elect of God, holy and beloved. How do you feel about that? Holy and beloved. Does that make you uncomfortable? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. If God's inside of us, if God's dwelling, and if he's taken control of my body, suddenly I become holy and beloved. Romans 8 verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are conquerors because of what 
he's done. It's, it's not because of anything that I've done, but it's because of what he's done and what he's offered to me and to you. It's because of what he's made available. It's the identity change that he's given us that we're conquerors. It's not because of anything we do ourselves. You know, I have a choice to make. I can live as a dead dog, or I can choose to live as a son of the king. It's not what I've done. It's nothing that I do. It's nothing that I will do. But it's all about what the king has to offer me. It's all about who he is and what he has to, make, to give to me. It's all about what he's done. And my accepting the relationship the king, with the king is what makes the difference. It's not my performance. But it's me accepting what he's given me. You know, this is something that we receive. We don't achieve it. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. But we can accept it. Who are you? Are you a dead dog? Or are you a child of the king? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. Lord, thank you for what you've offered to us. Lord, thank you for the identity uh, change that you've offered. Lord, thank you for your work on Calvary, and thank you for what that means for us. Lord, thank you for the newness of life that we can experience. Thank you that you desire to dwell in us, that you want to change us. And Lord, that's exciting. And I pray that each one of us would allow you to take control of our lives and that we would live lives that reflect that we're a son of the king, that we're a daughter of the king. And that through that, that others would be drawn to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.